Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another installation of the Across the Street podcast. We are back after a brief hiatus, and I'm so excited to be here with one of our brand new Durham VA hospitalist colleagues, Dr. Lily Wong. For those of you who haven't been lucky enough to meet Dr. Wong yet, she initially got her MD at Tulane and then trained for residency at BI, worked at the St. Louis VA briefly before she came to join us at the Durham VA. We're lucky enough to have her here today to talk about basically how the funds at the VA and particularly at Durham work and how we keep our doors open. Hi, Loris. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. So we're going to talk about money at the VA. This is sort of a 10,000 foot view of how money moves within this government healthcare system. So broad strokes, first off, why should we as physicians and residents care about this? Exactly. When I was a resident, I don't think I cared. <laughs> but, um, you know, as an attending, you get a better appreciation for your support staff and how those staff and yourself <laughs> are all paid and reimbursed. So if we would like more phlebotomists, if we want a new MRI machine, <laughs> any of these things, if we want to better serve our veterans, we unfortunately are going to need more money. And how do we prove to Congress, how do we prove to insurance companies that we need that money? It's through our documentation and through understanding how we get that money. So really doing good documentation is an indirect way to care for patients because it makes sure that we can keep our doors open and that Absolutely. we can keep the care coming. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Okay. So how do hospitals get reimbursed? Yeah. Taking a step back, it's important to delineate between how hospitals are reimbursed and how physicians are reimbursed, because I think we often conflate the two. Physicians are reimbursed purely fee for service. So that's you submit a bill to the insurance company and you get paid for whatever procedures or services you provide. But hospitals are reimbursed differently and separately. Just a little bit of history, in case you're interested, because uh -huh. I was interested. Yeah. <laughs> so in the 1970s is when Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid were first created. And at that time, everything that you ordered during a hospitalization was all reimbursed fee-for-service. So you order daily CBC, you were reimbursed for Medicaid or Medicare for that CBC. But rising costs in the 80s kind of led to the implementation of a global payment system that's called the DRG, or Diagnosis Related Group. So under this model, payers would then pay hospitals a predetermined set rate based upon a patient's principal diagnosis or the main reason why the patient was admitted to the hospital. And so this is true of all hospitals, right? Not just the VA. That's correct. Got it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And so patients, say, for example, if you're admitted with a COPD exacerbation, all patients would get reimbursed or paid for the same rate. Okay. So then in the 2000s, we have more complicated patients. <laughs> patients have a lot more comorbidities. And, you know, I think everyone recognizes that a patient with end-stage renal disease who comes in with a COPD exacerbation is going to require more resources than a patient without end-stage renal disease. So the DRG was modified by Medicare 
to be the MS uh, DRG or the Medicare Severity DRG. So now we have the incorporation of secondary diagnoses like end-stage renal disease, chronic heart failure, AKI, all of those kind of play a role in determining reimbursement. So comorbidities matter. And someone who has comorbidities with a given principal diagnosis is going to be sicker and they're going to bill higher. Exactly. Got it. How does that translate to the VA in particular? Why are we different than, say, Duke? Yeah, absolutely. So just as a side note, the government is probably the largest payer across the board, right? So Medicaid, Medicare, when uh, Duke bills them, that's probably the biggest payer that they have. Do we bill Medicare, though, at the VA? Yeah, very good question. So when I first started working at the VA, I assumed that we did. However, <laughs> we're as the VA, we're a government agency, and we don't bill ourselves, essentially. Got it. So it's just like rearranging arranging deck chairs, it wouldn't make any sense. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. As far as how the VA is funded, you know, about 15 to 20% of the VA funding comes from private insurers. Oh. So the same, if you had Blue Cross Blue Shield and you went to Duke and Duke would bill them the same way the VA would bill them, right? That just kind of makes sense. <laughs> okay. Okay. And the reason that's relevant is because the majority of the people that we see at the Durham VA don't have private insurance. Exactly. And so this is a group that would have been underserved if it weren't for our exactly. institution. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So only 15 to 20% of our budget comes from private insurance billing. And that's not an insignificant number. It's still millions of dollars a year. It's not zero. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the vast majority of our funding comes through VERA, which is the Veterans Equitable Resource Allocation. It's basically the system by which the government tries to ensure that all the VAs uh, across the nation receive their fair share of limited resources. So, for example, our VISN, which is a VISN meaning Veterans Integrated Service Networks, <laughs> of which there are 18 across the country. We just happen to be in VISN 6. Okay. Um, so really quick, just to make sure I yeah. understand. So VERA is a national program yes, that allocates funds, and VISNs are kind of like regions. That, exactly. Okay. And so yeah. we're sort of the southeast region, and 6 is just happening to be our number. Yeah, okay, exactly. got it. Okay. <laughs> so just to give you some perspective, our vision in fiscal year 2017 had a budget of $3.3 billion, okay. and that serves seven different VA medical centers serving greater than 390,000 veterans. And we had about 6 million outpatient encounters and 28,000 hospital admissions. Durham, as a vision. As a vision, right, okay. exactly. And so that includes, you know, like Asheville, Durham, Richmond, mm -hmm. Fayetteville, et cetera. Right. The Durham VA, our website states that we serve up to 200,000 veterans. So that's kind of within our catchment area and the veterans that we see at our major academic center. Got it. Right. So um, important things to note about VERA. So it's capitated, meaning that VERA pays us per veteran that we evaluate within a fiscal year. So we get paid for every veteran that we see. Okay. So from that $3 billion that our visit gets, we get paid specifically based on how many people we see. Exactly. Got yep. it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, the VERA budget is also zero sum. So, for example, if one VA is receiving a little more money because they're seeing more veterans or their veterans are more complicated, another VA, given, a, given the limited budget, is going to receive a little less money. Got it. Unless the overall budget is increased. Right. And then the money is distributed to the VISN level, and then at the VISN levels, then redistributed to the individual VAs. Okay. That's the kind of bird's eye view of how VERA works. Got it. The other important thing to note about VERA and how it's different from the private sector is that when we 
bill, quote unquote, Vera, we don't get reimbursed or the money from Vera doesn't get dispersed until two to five years from now. Mm. So the money that we got from Vera for fiscal year 2019 is based upon billing and documentation that we did two to five years ago. Wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you, if you try to think about how many more veterans that we're seeing and serving and how complex their comorbidities are, you know, it's really important for us to capture that severity of illness accurately so that we can serve our veterans in the future. Yeah, that's a really good point. The baby boomer population is sicker now than it's ever been before. And every year that passes, we see more patients. Our hospital capacity runs very high all the time. So what we do now matters now, but it also matters later. Exactly. Got it's it. It's very important for our future budget. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. So if what we're doing matters later, how can we help? Like, what's the best thing we can do as physicians to improve the funding at the Durham VA? Yeah, so the way that Vera captures data is basically through um, our encounters and our documentation. Vera's reimbursement is directly related to the diagnoses that we treat a veteran for. So if we are documenting that they have end-stage renal disease on dialysis, for example, that is going to you know, be reimbursed higher than a patient who just has, say, CKD. Um, so it's very important that we as physicians are documenting accurately so that we can obtain accurate reimbursement via Vera. So in our discharge summary, say somebody comes in with a heart attack. If that person already has end-stage renal disease, that's why those secondary diagnoses in our discharge summary are so important. Yes, exactly. Right. How different would the billing be for that one person if I forgot, say, to say that they had end-stage yeah. renal? Yeah, that's a great example because end-stage renal disease is one of those diagnoses that has a really high reimbursement via Vera. So we're talking on the order of tens of thousands of dollars. So end-stage renal disease would get about 60 some odd thousand dollars. Per patient. Per patient. Okay. Right, because we're paid per veteran that we see. So okay. if we've neglected to put that on there and we put CKD instead, that would be the difference between maybe like 5,000 <laughs> and like 50,000. <laughs> and that's the money to take care of that patient for the entire year. So if I'm the only person that sees this person in the hospital for an entire year, all of my documentation will determine how much money the Durham VA gets exactly. to take care of that person. Yes. Documentation <laughs> matters, it sounds like. Yes. So then where do all these numbers come from? All based <laughs> upon our treating diagnoses or ICD-10 codes. Oh, God, they're back. <laughs> yes, they're back, exactly. <laughs> so Vera um, groups these diagnoses into basically 65 different classes, ranging from kind of basic cardiovascular disease, endocrine disease, you know, like hypertension, diabetes, all the way up to transplant. <laughs> mm. And the reimbursement can range from, you know, $2,000 a year all the way up to, like I mentioned, you know, $100,000 a year. And the patient is assigned to the single highest class that they qualify for, for that year. So if they have multiple comorbidities, it's the comorbidity that lands them in the highest VERA class. So like we said, the end-stage renal disease example, that class is quite high at 58 and lands them you know, $63,000. For the year. So really, we don't have to know which bill's the highest, but what we do need to do is just be really thorough in listing comorbidities for a given patient. Exactly. And, you know, the 
the determinations of VR class is very complicated, <laughs> and every VA has a VR specialist you can talk to that can help you determine if your patient can fall into a certain class. Or say, say like for psychiatry, for example, there are certain diagnoses like PTSD, depression, etc., that actually do have a fairly high VR class, but they have other requirements such as you have to be seen X number of times a year. They have to be accompanied by an inpatient diagnosis or inpatient stay, etc. So I think it's not so important that we know what the classes are and how much they're reimbursed. Just know that our documentation is very important in determining what class that they fall into. So it's our jobs just to document as accurately as possible. So since we mentioned ICD-10 codes, what is the difference between DRGs and ICD codes? Yeah, I know the terminology can be really <laughs> complicated, uh <-huh. laughs> and since we're, we are not taught any of this in medical school, <laughs> it, it takes a little bit of catching up. But think about DRGs in terms of the system that we use for hospital reimbursement, and that is the only thing that DRGs are used for. There's all different types of DRGs, like the MS DRG that we stated earlier that Medicare uses. There's also a APDRG, which is all patient DRG, and there's other systems that insurance companies use to reimburse. ICD-10 is a system that's used internationally and created by WHO, the World Health Organization, to help everybody classify diagnoses. So literally just a list of numbers and their associated diagnoses. So this is <laughs> the the diagnoses that we see like fell uh, like fell off a cliff, struck initial, by a water. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, initial encounter. You know? <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting to know. I that because ICD is an international system, there have been countries that are have been using ICD-10 for decades, like since mm. the 80s. Um, I think Brazil is a place that's been using it for a really long time. But we, prior to uh, the transition to ICD-10 in the mid-2010s, um, we were using ICD-9, which mm -hmm. actually was probably outdated at the time we were using it. But yeah. as you may know, if you went through the transition, there's a huge difference in the variety of diagnoses that ICD-10 has versus ICD-9. And there's a lot more specificity in ICD-10. Yeah. So for the purposes of our documentation at the VA, since we're hand typing every single diagnosis rather than choosing them from a list, which of the two is more important? Yeah, great question. So I think they're probably equally important. Okay. The nice thing about inpatient documentation and coding is that there is an army of coders mm -hmm. <laughs> behind the scenes that are reading all of our notes, starting with our discharge summaries, but they do delve into individual daily notes to get further clarification if needed, but they choose all the ICD-10 codes for us on the inpatient side. So fabulous. Yes. One of the reasons that the VA is the best. Exactly. <laughs> and almost all hospitals have coders that do this on the inpatient side just because so much of hospital reimbursement is based upon accurate coding. Got it. So really what we should take from this is we just need to be as specific as we can. Yes. Especially in our discharge summaries, but on the daily as well. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right, so here's a question. What about when we get transfers from other VAs? We see patients from Fayetteville all the time. We occasionally get patients from 
Asheville, or even we share patients with Richmond, especially the SCI patients. Yeah. So how does money go into that when somebody has representation at multiple VA sites within the same visit? Yes, that's an excellent question <laughs> again. <laughs> um, so when I was talking to the financial people about this question, they use a fairly complex algorithm to determine how much money goes to each individual VA. But just remember that the Vera money gets dispersed to the VISN, and then the VISN decides how much money goes to each individual. VA. And essentially, the calculation is based upon the percentage of care that your VA provided. So for example, if this Fayetteville patient was only seen in the Fayetteville clinic like one time <laughs> and then gets um, admitted to their hospital and then spends the rest of their hospitalization with the Durham VA and it's a prolonged hospitalization with an ICU course, etc., then clearly the bulk of his medical care was provided by us and we would see a higher percentage of his VR dollars, but it doesn't change the the amount of money that our vision would get to take care of that patient for the year. So this would probably be a whole separate discussion, but that plays into a little bit about cost-conscious care also. Absolutely. Because regardless of what this patient does or does not need, the funding for that patient is going to be the same. Exactly, right. And these VR dollars are meant to take care of that patient for the entire fiscal year. So if you think about it, it doesn't matter... <laughs> for Vera, if that patient was admitted 10 times <laughs> or only seen once as an outpatient, if those comorbidities, if that documentation is the same in terms of, you know, the diagnoses that were treated, you get the same amount of money from Vera. Wow. So broad strokes while we, when we wrap up here, Dr. Huang, how should we take this information and apply it to our daily practice when we're rounding in the hospital? Yeah, I think being conscious of the way our documentation affects other things like reimbursement and um, how the VA keeps its doors open is going to be really important. So really documentation is patient care. Yes, Got exactly. It. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Wong, for taking the time to talk with me today about this very complicated subject. For more information, is there a website that we can direct the residents to? VA.gov is, you know, a lot of where this information is publicly available. Got it. Thank you so much, Dr. Wong, for talking with us today. And as always, the views and opinions stated during this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Durham VA. 